something going on there. Scores! Roll the highlight reel. Six to nothing flame. Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour is underway. It is Thursday, May 4th. Vickers Steinberg as we welcome you to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit CalgaryLockAndSafe.com. Flames Talk's available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Hi, Vix. Hey, buddy. What's shaking? Not much. Um, you know, you take a look and start projecting next season for the Calgary Flames. We know they're going to need to create some form of cap space. They're going to have to. I think it's it's pretty fair to say, unless the salary cap takes a more significant jump than is projected. And we don't know. We won't know until sometime in June, we believe, as to what the salary cap's going to look like. But I think it's fair to say they're going to have to create some space. And the question is how. So here's the situation as of right now. Um, they have 19 contracts on the books uh, at $82.5 million for next year, which gives them $1.25 million under the cap if it only goes up the $1 million as it's expected to, or as, maybe expected is the wrong word, as it's projected to as of right now. So that is 19 players, 10 forwards, 7 defensemen, including Oliver Shillington, and that's the important one to add in there, and 2 goalies. So that leaves them, what, 2 players short of a full lineup and 3 short of kind of the ideal. The 23-man? It leaves you three short of 22, and I think 22 is you can get by with. Especially with your farm team in the same city. Yes, exactly. You don't need to be carrying the full 23 in that case. But definitely that gives you, again, projecting as of right now, $1.25 million to bring in two forwards. Um, If you want to go into free agency, that makes it even a little more difficult to do. Now, you can go 10% over the salary cap in the summertime. We know that. But safe to say they'll probably need to make some sort of trade, some sort of salary out move. Is is that something that you would be anticipating this summer? Well, I mean, you have to if you want to ice a full roster, basically. The Calgary Flames don't have much wiggle room, as you said. You want to add some forwards. You want to remodel a line or two. If you want to, if even if you want to just have a sniff at a significant, and by significant, I'm, I'm going to go on the low end of significant, but a, a significant free agent signing. You've got to have a spot cap-wise in order to make it work. And right now, the Calgary Flames, and this isn't a unique problem to the Calgary Flames. Yep. You're going to see probably 27 or 28 other teams try to negotiate this, which is going to make making any move really interesting. But you're going to have to find a way to move some salary out in order to bring your roster to where you're comfortable with it being. And with that, your lineup to where you're comfortable with all four lines is going to be a pretty interesting summer because I don't necessarily, as it stands right now, I don't think July 1 is going to be an exciting day for Calgary Flames fans unless they find a way to free up some money to make a splash when free agency opens. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a big July 1st for No, last, it wasn't. Last year either. I mean, Tradition other than, now. Other than Johnny leaving, um, there wasn't much on July Kevin 1st. Kevin Rooney. 
So, uh, again, Kevin Rooney, and this is no knock on Kevin Rooney, but Rooney's played in the American League since, like, December. I mean, and that's, that's not a knock on him. He's an important part of the Wranglers. That's factually correct. But in terms of the the impact moves, it was Rooney. It was Nick Malosh, Dennis Gilbert. Gilbert. Um, there wasn't a ton of really. Was Oscar Dance a, a day one? That was a more sounds, of a minor league that deal. That sounds but... right. Ben Jones, I believe, was um, a day one signing. There, there just was not a lot of like NHL, NHL names being added to the mix. I just say, so if we're talking about them needing to make a trade or move some money out, who are the ideal candidates? Who comes to mind for you right away? Because for me, it's all of the, the, the names that come to mind right away for me are all of those guys entering the final years of contracts because they would be, I think, the easiest ones to move out and would also, in pretty much every single one of their cases, give you some decent salary relief. So those names that Pat mentioned up front are Michael Backlund, Elias Lindholm, Tyler Toffoli on defense, Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov. Not missing anybody there, am I? I guess you could put Shillington into that mix as well. Oliver Shillington as well. To me, that's going to be the incoming GM's first job is to determine who wants to be here and who doesn't. And I think you do that well in advance of free agency, one. So you know how much money you're playing with in dipping out to free agency too. You know which holes you need to fill if, in theory, you move player A or player B. Three, what you have in assets to maybe go out. And if you can't make a direct hockey trade for one of those players and you want to remain as competitive as possible, figure out what assets you have so that maybe you can go shop those assets somewhere else and bring in something that works right now. But basically it starts with if player A, B, or C doesn't want to be here, that's the easiest, most simple way to free up um, cap space and and capital to either reacquire something or just do something in terms of free agency. And so, again, my first conversation comes to Elias Lindholm, and it's, we. I heard what you said. Has anything changed for you? And if so, can we facilitate something, or do we need to move you somewhere else? That would be the first place I'd go. Okay, again, now, what if all these guys are like, no, now that, now that the change has been made, we all want to re-sign here. And I'm not suggesting that's going yeah. to happen. But let's take, and I'm not, and this is not a shot at you, but let's take that easy out no, I, out of the conversation. That, no, I'll, you can take that shot at me all no, day because not, it is. It's, it's an easy out, but it's like you want to see if that easy out exists. Let's for a second say that it doesn't. And all the guys have a desire of re-signing. Who's the one, who's the one that kind of fulfills everything the most who gives you the most salary relief but also gives you the best value and trying to find that sweet spot of what you're going to get the most for and where you're also going to be able to get enough cap relief to make it so that you've got a little more wiggle room as you go through this offseason I mean the one that comes to mind isn't going to give you an exorbitant amount of cap space but I look at Dan Vladar Who we did not even mention as a candidate because he kicks in a new two-year contract starting on July 1st. So, and that's what, 2.2 million somewhere right in there? 2.2 million, yep. So that doesn't give you 2.2 million in cap space just by moving him for a draft pick because you need to replace that body, that contract. But even if it's Dustin Wolf, hypothetically, that comes up, that frees you up $1.4 million. About that, yep. Because Dustin Wolf's going to come in at around eight hundred thousand dollars. I don't have the exact number in front exactly. of me. If you just do, just over eight thirteen. Yeah, see year. the thirteen part. That's why I'm rounding to one point four. Because again, math and me 
no, we're not necessarily going to go there. But if just you can a, just a tick over eight hundred k, there we go. So there you go. You freed up one point four million dollars by moving. And I'm not advocating moving Vladar, but in this exercise, I mean, I would go out and I'd see if there's an appetite for both of my NHL goalies. And certainly, if there's a market for Jacob Markstrom, that's a that's a very quick way to free up a lot of capital at six million and three seasons remaining. So there you go. That that if if there's a market for Jacob Markstrom, that's six million dollars off the books minus Dustin Wolf's eight hundred and thirteen K. I don't think that's necessarily a feasible option. And I think you if you're an organization, you have a, a guy that a year ago was a Vesner runner up. Maybe you want to see if he can rebound to some sort of form because he is your true number one goalie. See, I would because goaltending and I I, I fully uh, I fully admit to the fact that the Flames are right now, at least bodies wise, they they've got a so- solid amount of depth at def- uh, at, at goaltender. Um, you've got this red hot shooting star prospect in Dustin Wolf. You've got Vladar, who a lot of people think has number one chops down yep. the road, and you've got your six million dollar guy in Markstrom. So that they're they're deep in that position, but because goaltending is so unpredictable, it's wacky, and so. Yeah, They're weird. wacky, and it's just, it's voodoo. I'll tell Kron to his face he's weird. He's a goalie. Oh, he is weird. Um, I'll t- I, I waited to say that till he was gone, mind you, but... No, I'd tell it, say it right to his face. I look at... So it's a position of strength, but not a position of strength I necessarily am ready quite yet to okay. subtract from. Whereas the blue line, I think that that's an area that you could subtract from. And I think anyone, you know, I'll take Shillington out of it because Oliver is still really young. He's 25 years old, didn't play at all last year. And I think the excitement level about what he could be next year, I'll take Shillington out of it. I'll look more towards the NHL veterans as potential interesting targets for other teams. Tanev. But I'm calling shenanigans because you said that's the easy way out. If the pending unrestricted free agents all say they want to be back. So we're just going to say hypothetically, they want to be back, but you're going to make a move anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I I thought. I thought you took all six off the table. No, 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 no. I'm taking, I'm taking the three forwards off the table for now. Okay. And Lindholm is such a different story because I think you really need to, take a healthy, healthy run at re-signing yes. this summer. But I think one of Hannafin, Tanev, or Zadorov is the area that I would look to if I feel like I need to clear out some salary. Because you've got Shillington coming back. Right. You've got the option, potentially, of re-signing Troy Stetcher and now giving him a little bit more of an open door to be an everyday guy, which I don't know would exist if they re-signed him and they didn't make a move. And every one of Hannafin, Tanev, and Zadorov are on the final year of contracts, and this might be the time to be able to maximize it. And the guy that I look to for the first time as maybe thinking about moving out would be Hannafin because I think of all three of those guys, he'd be the one that gets you the most return, and he's also the one that gives you the most salary relief. In fact, of all the players outside of Backland, Hannafin's the guy that gives you the most salary relief right now. He's 26. He's a bonafide top 4D and he's making just under $5 million. I think most teams could fit that in. I think you'd get a nice return for him and then that gives you a whole lot more flexibility with Shillington coming back and you've got Uyghur staying here and you can then make a run at re-signing Stetcher, all those types of things. I like Hannafin. I'm not trying to run the guy out of town. 
I just think that for the for the first time since he's been here, I'm a little bit more on the idea that maybe moving him could be a smart move, especially with the cap crunch that you could potentially be in. I'm going to add two bullet points to the argument you, sure. you're making. And one of them is of the pending unrestricted free agent defenseman, he's going to be the one that commands the most salary in the longest term. So you're freeing up some flexibility, not only immediately for next year, but also down the road, because he's going to be a guy that's probably going to get a seven or eight year contract. And it's going to be a raise over what he's making. That's just inflation. That's just more proven. That's, as you mentioned, he's a bonafide top four. The other element is if Shillington, well, when Shillington comes back, and when Shillington gets back to where he was, and we've had the argument over how long it's going to take, but when he hits his full stride, and say under your scenario, Stetcher's a guy that you bring back, you've got a bit of redundancy there in terms of smooth skating defensemen, transition defensemen, so on and so forth, where if you look at a guy like Chris Tanev and potentially moving him instead, you don't necessarily have another Chris Tanev type, but... You have a Noah Hannafin type to a degree in Shillington coming back and in terms of puck moving and, and smooth skating and Stetcher as well. So you're taking a surplus of transition defensemen and taking one out as opposed to your defensive defensemen and basically you're only like pure shutdown guy. Well, say you get, I think you'd get a first round pick for Hannafin. Say you can get a first round pick and a prospect for Hannafin. One year left on his deal. You know that he plays 22, 23 minutes a night. He is a bona fide top two pairing defenseman on any team in the NHL, I believe. And look, he's not perfect and all that. I get that, but he's a very good player. And I know there is some, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word here. I think there is Discussion? some skepticism okay. as to American guys resigning here. We saw two American guys walk last summer. What? I just, I know a lot of people bring that up. So, because remember, Hannafin was traded here and was a restricted free agent, signed his deal. This time he'll be an unrestricted free agent when his contract comes to an end. So, you get a good return for Hannafin. Say you are able to bring in a nice prospect and a high pick. Well, now, are you comfortable as a Flames fan with a D setup that has Uyghur and Anderson, Shillington and Tanev, Zadorov and Stetcher as your top six. And again, that's just an assumption that Stetcher comes back. I don't know. I believe that he wants to stay. He said as much. And, and just talking to some people that uh, I trust, I, I believe that Stetcher does want to stay and, yep. and would re-sign here. So if you have those six, and assuming Stetcher does stay, are you comfortable with that? Then you have a Gilbert, Gilbert or and a, maybe Stone a Stone as a 7-8 type situation. How comfortable with that are you? And knowing that Chris Tanev is unlikely to play 82 games next year, how comfortable are you with a Stone or a Gilbert coming in in your top six, moving up a Zadorov again, something like that? I just that's that's what I'm interested in as to how this would all work out. As much as I think Hannafin is a guy that you can absolutely think about moving, the trickle down of losing a guy that plays as much as he does would be really interesting. So are you comfortable with that blue line setup? I don't necessarily like that depth. And there's a little bit of a disconnect between the prospects in the Calgary Flames organization on the blue line being ready for NHL action. So there's nobody at, well, very few defensemen in general, Owen Power and Rasmus Dahlin are ready at 18. But even... 
20, 21, 22 year olds in the organization aren't ready to make that push. So you are filling that seven spot with a guy like Gilbert, the eight spot with Michael Stone or vice versa and going out and getting a Stetcher. Stetcher at roughly 1.5 and moving Hannafin saves you or somewhere in the neighborhood of 3.5 million, 3.45 million. If that's the case, and I don't know exactly what Stetcher is going to command. Again, he's an unrestricted free agent. There's going to be other teams outside of the Calgary Flames that are interested in bringing him in. But the situation just is the fact that the Calgary Flames at some point are going to have to lose somebody in order to get cap compliant. And Hannafin could be a casualty of that because, again, his salary, pending unrestricted free agent. You mentioned the American-born player discourse. It's The Calgary Flames have to free up money somewhere. And if we're playing with the hypothetical that the forwards are all going to commit and you're looking at the blue line, to me, he's the most logical because of those things you said and also because he's going to fetch you the biggest return as well. Now, another way to help figure this out, and maybe you don't go down that road. Maybe you're very tied to all your blue liners and, and you don't re-sign a Stetcher and, and Shillington comes back in and now you're talking about Shillington and Zadorov as your third pair and Hannafin playing with Tanev and uh, Anderson with Uyghur, like and you go with something like that then how else can you free up cap space? Well, you could probably make a, a move a little further down the lineup and, and free up a little bit, maybe like your Vladar idea. And then you really have to give players an opportunity on entry-level deals. Now you really are talking about having, like Jacob Pelche is on the team, no questions asked. And we know Walker Dewar is going to be on the team on a on a lower sort of, Cost contract, 800K, if I'm not mistaken. Is yeah. that somewhere right uh, in the neighborhood? I believe it's 875. Thank goodness you're here to do numbers for me today. My goodness. I believe that's the case. 825, sorry. So suddenly you're, you're bringing in a guy on close to league men. You're bringing in some guys on entry-level deals. You can have the ability to restructure a line or at least plug holes throughout your lineup with various players that you think that are prospects up front that you think are ready to take the step or have shown that they're ready to take the step. So that's when you pepper in Walker Dewar. That's where you pepper in Jacob Pelche. I wonder if you'd give an honest look this time around, you're able to, and we've had the discussion on Matthew Phillips because he's not going to command a, a significant salary. He's going to be a little bit more than league men. I would think with just the fact that 32 teams are now going to be suddenly bidding on him and he's going to be looking at situations where maybe in theory, in theory, I think there's. A, I don't think all 32 teams are going to submit him an offer, but I think there's going to be a situation where there's more than one team, and it's you know it's not just the Calgary Flames bidding on this player. But you need to get into a situation if you are the Flames, where you have some budget-friendly players that are able to fill out your your bottom six, or even again, if you want to scatter Jacob Pelche and put him on a second line, but you need those entry-level contracts and low-cost contracts to help you out here. Well, and somebody texts in. Well, I mean, trade. Trade Lindholm or trade Backland. Here, the reason why I, if I'm moving a player, it would be on the blue line. The reason is, is because there's just more depth there. You're dealing right now. Your forwards under contract for next year are Kadri, Huberdeau, Manjapani, Backland, Coleman, Lindholm, Toffoli, uh, Dubé, Coronado, Ruzicka. Kind of, it, it, it starts to drop off in terms of. NHL experience as you go on right now in the calculations we're talking about Pelche's not in there Dewar's not in there so 
you know, you're kind of in a spot where I don't think you're as deep at forward. And that's an area that if you're trying to stay competitive next year, I'm not as keen on taking away from. Well, and how long did it take the Calgary Flames to finally get their centers slotted properly? Where you have a, a number one in Elias Lindholm, a number two A in Nazem Kadri, a number two B in Michael Backlund. I think it's fair to call Michael Backlund a third line center just based on how he's, well, I don't even want to say based on how he's deployed year. because they're all even across the board. But finally, you have I mean, three he was, centers. He was the number one center. You finally have three stretch. centers in the organization, though, that are top three centers. You're not playing anybody out of position, promoting somebody to try to fill a hole. Like when it's Sean Monahan and Michael Backlund, and who was the three just anywhere during that stretch? That wasn't a true. Stajan, that wasn't a true. No respect to or no disrespect to to Matt Stajan, but that's not a one, two, three the way you're set up right now. So if you have the ability to retain an Elias Lindholm, your center position keeps that depth. I remember last season, and it didn't necessarily play out exactly the way I thought it would. But the strengths were going to be goalie, depth on D, depth down the middle. That's typically the formula that wins you championships. Now, it didn't work that way for the Calgary Flames mm -hmm. this past year. We all know that. We don't need to relive it. But if you're able to retain your depth on D and down the middle, I think you do everything you can to make sure that that still happens. And by subtracting a D-man, I still I don't think you take as big a bite out of your depth. Especially you because you have Oliver Shillington coming back exactly. to re reaffirm, re replenish that depth to a degree. Uh, let me fire some text here at 960-960. Come on, guys. Most competitive teams, the Flames center should be 2-3-4 at best. Well, that's not true. Michael Backlund's not a fourth-line center on any team. No. Uh, for vice president of the Michael Backlund fan club, for you to call him 2B, I was, I'm thinking about your membership all of a sudden. Privileges have been revoked or what? <laughs> I, I think he is... He was number one on my good guy ballot there. My whole ballot's out if you've been listening all week. Very nice. Um... Yeah, I think that he, I think all three of those guys, I think Lindholm's a number one center on a lot of teams. He's obviously not McKinnon or McDavid or, you know, he's not that type of player. But, you know, you take a look at him, he's kind of in the, like Rope Hintz is the number one center on the Dallas Stars. I think Rope Hintz is a number one center on a lot of teams. And I think so was Elias Lindholm. I see them in very, very similar lights in that regard. Yeah, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to make an argument that Elias Lindholm's a top 10 center in the NHL, but he's a certainly a top 32 center, which by basic math suggests that he's a top line center, a first line center. Um, this says, what exactly did Kadri show last year to suggest he's a 2C? Well, he was well, their all star. And in the first half of the season, he, I think, was very much in that regard. Obviously, he struggled down the stretch, though. Um, this says, from Brett, I'd hope that the new GM would move any and all players that don't want to be in Calgary, only in sports when the players whine and cry about the coach and then get the coach fired. Uh, I'm really tired of the coaching carousel in Calgary. Start over and figure out how to get players that want to be here. This team's becoming a laughingstock. Too many crybabies on this team. The crybaby stuff, whatever. It wasn't just the players who made this happen. It was a, an entire organizational thing. I think that's a poor characterization right, of yeah. it. But I do think the one part I do agree with wholeheartedly is I believe that having players that want to be here is an important thing to have because that way you're not overpaying and you're not having to convince the same way I think having guys who want to be here and that you're not worried are going to bolt, I think that's important as well. Um, this says Shillington Zadorov would be a gong show. Uh, it would be entertaining at times. 
I feel like we saw that not consistently because it was good Branson Zadorov quite a bit, but I feel like I've seen some shifts of that. And to be honest, both of them to a degree, I would say Zadorov more is what I always classify as a freelancer on defense. If he sees some space and he's got the puck, he's willing to go. Shillington is similar to that in that sense, but I don't think I, I mean, although I could see a scenario where it's a two on one for the Calgary flames and it's Zadorov on one side and Shillington on the other. Uh, this says Tanev should be the one to go hurt too often leaves a hole that gave him problems all season. If they trade him, then there's room for everyone and they aren't over reliant on a player that won't always be there. Just in terms of a return, I think you're getting more for other guys just because Tanev's the oldest and has the injury history on top of it. Not to say that he would be untouchable. I don't think there are any untouchables really on this team right now. And for me, he's a guy that you could explore further down the road if you wanted to, if your season isn't going the way that you want it to be. I liken him to a little bit like Michael Backlund, where to me, you don't have to trade Michael Backlund this summer. You can trade him at the trade deadline and get roughly the same return. I think the same holds true for Chris Tanev, especially if he plays the first you know, 55, 60-ish games healthy. I think what he commands at the trade deadline in terms of value is the same as what he does now. If not, maybe even a little bit more if he can if he can put together a healthy stretch. It's Pat and Vickers along with you this hour on Flames Talk. We're coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. They're your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigation. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's hockey station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's go inside hockey on this Thursday for Calgary Co-op. Calgary's is the only family of products curated for the taste of Calgarians, and you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. This is uh, the regular slot for the Daily Flames Roundtable when we're in season. And the last couple of weeks on the Daily Flames Roundtable with Derek Wills, we've tried to get into some bigger picture questions, but a lot of times you're like, Okay, yeah, but we don't know what's going to happen with head coach Daryl Sutter. And how does that change a potential answer? Uh, well, now, Wilsey, we know for sure that uh, there will be a new coach for the Calgary Flames next season. Uh, general manager walked away about two and a half weeks ago. And earlier this week, we found out that Daryl Sutter was let go as head coach of the Flames. So it makes some of those bigger picture questions maybe a little easier to answer, or you've got a little bit more perspective on some of those bigger picture issues, hey? You do, and the timing's unfortunate. And I've had a lot of people ask me, and I'm sure you've had a lot of people ask you, if Daryl Sutter had been fired, would Brad Treleving had stayed? And I don't know the answer. I think there's a pretty good chance that he would have, uh, but we're never going to know the answer. So uh, I, I think Sutter being let go might not have happened if Treleving hadn't made the decision that he did, uh, or if they hadn't quote-unquote, mutually parted ways. So, uh, yeah, now you've seen a couple of dominoes fall, and you wait to see uh, where things go from here. And uh, listening to your show yesterday, as I usually do, uh, I heard you talk about the fact that uh, 
of all the Flames trade requests that have been put on the table at the end of the season, they've all been taken back. Yeah. So I think that speaks volumes about uh, how impactful this decision, and it must have been a difficult one for the Flames. From Murray Edwards to John Bean to Don Maloney, it had to be a difficult decision to let go of Daryl Sutter. He's done so much good for the Flames and for the city of Calgary. And obviously the Sutter name is synonymous in the province of Alberta and with the game of hockey. And you know, he's had a, a great coaching career. He's a Hall of Fame head coach. There's no doubt about it. But I think it's a change that had to happen for a number of reasons. It's happened. And I'm not going to lie. I, I now feel quite a bit better about the Flames' chances to keep uh, all of those uh, high-profile pending UFAs that we talked about, uh, not for this summer, but for next summer. And uh, I, I feel good, really good, as a matter of fact, about the chances of Jonathan Huberdeau having a bounce-back season and Nazem Kadri having a bounce-back season. So uh, I know it was a tough change to make, but I think it was the right move to make. And uh, I, I think the, the future looks a little bit brighter because of it. And that's not a shot at Daryl Sutter. Sometimes things just aren't working and you've got to go in a different direction. I think this was one of those times. Yeah. And it's funny that we've learned so much since the last time we've had a round table, Willsie, at least the one that I've been involved in with you. And yet yeah. there's still so many questions that need to be answered, including you want to talk about the likelihood of a, a Jonathan Huberto or Nazem Kadri having a bounce back season. We don't know that until we get there and see what they're able to do. But even in the short term, we still don't know who the GM is going to be. We don't know who the head coach is going to be. We don't know what sort of cap considerations the Calgary Flames are going to have to make yeah. in order to be compliant or, or to make a splash on free agency day or how they fill out the the bottom pair or bottom, pardon me, fourth line of their lineup. There's still so many questions left to be answered at this point. But you mentioned things have changed in a certain direction and it just feels truly like a fresh start for this team even though they're going to be rolling back a lot of the same personnel. Yeah. Well, and guys, I wonder, like, because the first name that I think came to all of our minds was the the most non-committal of the group on Locker Cleanout Day in Lindholm, and and you know, I I, I think he's one of the veterans that was not on the same page with Daryl this year. I just think, and and Aaron and I talked a little bit about this on on Wednesday's show as well, Derek. But I I just think you've got a real opportunity. To, to go to Lindholm now and really use this decision as a bit of a selling point in convincing him to sign long-term in that, hey, we listened to you. We believed that this was a problem. We want to keep you here, so we made this decision. Engage him on what the next head coach could look like. Put a significant offer on the table for him. I like put a seven year, $59 million contract on the table for him. I don't know what exactly that mm -hmm. math looks like, but it's more than 8 million a year. Um, so, so put like, like really take a healthy full court press run at getting Lindholm signed. And, and if you're feeling that there's a better chance of that happening because of this move being made, well, it's eight point four two, by the way, is what I uh, is is the quick four three. Yeah, to round up. That's an interesting number. I just <laughs> maybe you go eight times uh, seven times sixty. Anyway, I Sounds digress. Made up. <laughs> just go and take the run at it, and use this decision as a selling point in keeping Elias here and and kind of a show of faith organizationally. Yeah, I mean, making the move that they did extended a huge olive branch not only to Elias Lindholm and Michael Backlund and the other pending UFAs next summer, but also 
a bunch of guys, and I wouldn't really put Mackenzie Weger into this category because I thought he got better and better as the season went on. So clearly he didn't have uh, the same issue with the head coach uh, that other guys did or with the, the system or the style that other guys did. And, uh, you know, I think part of it uh, is that Jonathan Huberto and Daryl Sutter didn't see eye to eye. But I also think part of it for Huberto was that the Flames play a lot different brand of hockey than the Panthers did. And I think that was a difficult adjustment for him. So now that he's got a year under his belt, I think he's going to be better off in year number two for a number of different reasons. But yeah, I mean, they made the move they had to make. And now they put themselves in a position where they can, I think, start to talk to these guys, even if it's off the record uh, and, and just try to get a feel for how they're feeling right now. They've got to be feeling better, right? I mean, I think we can all jump to that conclusion. I'd love to be on that Flames group chat to see what was said after uh, last Monday's announcement because uh, I'm guessing there were probably more happy guys than sad guys. And again, you know, Daryl Sutter's had a Hall of Fame career. Uh, I think he can think the game at a level that uh, very few people on this planet can but uh, it just wasn't working with this group of players. And you know what, quite, quite frankly, guys, and I've been thinking a lot about this since the Flames made the move, Daryl Sutter was brought in to coach the last core group of players. Don't you think? He was brought in to, to get guys like Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk and Sam Bennett and Sean Monaghan. He was brought in to get those guys over the hump. This is really a different core group of players that I think needs a new voice and needs a different style of head coach. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where things go from here, but uh, I'm quite optimistic that uh, guys who were going to leave are now at least thinking about staying. And and I think that's a really important step. And yeah, uh, this is probably a good time to to go to Elias Lindholm and and other pending UFAs and say, okay, we made that move with, with the head coach. So that's no longer an issue. Do you have any other issues? How can we get over those hurdles? And uh, if not, let's start talking dollars and term and and see if we can come up with a deal here. I think it certainly swings the pendulum for at least several of those pending unrestricted free agents. I'm curious to a degree what it would mean for a guy like Tyler Toffoli, who was very vocal in his support of Daryl Sutter, but by and large, and as a collective whole, and if you're just going to throw a blanket over the entire dressing room, I think the the mood and the scenario is, we all know, we don't know exactly what was said in exit meetings with managements, but we get the gist of yeah. what was said. And for the most part, you got to think that the players are to a degree relieved and and ready to come back to work next September with a clean slate and and what I'm going to assume is a more productive environment to be working in. Well, you- just quickly, yeah, go I ahead. feel with Tyler Toffoli, guys, is that it, it wouldn't have helped to keep Daryl Sutter, but I don't think it hurt, hurts. You know what I mean? Like, he's a guy who knows what it takes to play for Sutter. I think he's a little bit immune to some of the stuff that guys like Jonathan Huberdeau weren't because mm-hmm. he's been around it for such a long time. He had a career year, so that probably made him uh, a happier guy and, and made things easier for him. But... I don't, there's only one Daryl Sutter. So it's not like Tyler Defoley is going to say, well, I only want to play for a Daryl Sutter coach team. I think that he has the ability to, uh, to, to deal with some things that other guys probably didn't deal with all that well, just because he's got a history with Sutter. Clearly they've got a lot of respect for each other, but I also think it's important to, to know how to take a head coach like Daryl Sutter. And I think Toffoli 
uh, was better suited to do that. Trevor Lewis was better suited to do that. Nikita Zadorov, maybe because of, of where he's from, was better suited to do that than others. But I don't think Daryl Sutter not being here is going to negatively affect Tyler Toffoli uh, when it comes to the Flames trying to keep him if they want to do that. Uh, Derek Wills with us inside hockey here on Flames Talk this hour. What um like what type we Aaron and I talked a little bit about this on on Wednesday's show. I'd be curious as to where you fall in. Like what type of coach do the Flames need? Like what do do we need to be talking about a softer touch? Do we need? I'm just curious. Like is is there anything non negotiable for you that this next head coach needs to be? Well, there's only one Daryl Sutter, but. Uh... I'm not sure you could bring in, uh, just to throw a name out there, John Tortorella, <laughs> another guy who is Horts. very demanding. Although uh, he's, uh, I think he's done a good job evolving with the times, but he's also coaching a team that isn't uh, the Flames. They're, they're not a team that it's expected to compete uh, to not only make the playoffs, but to win a round or two or three. So uh, expectations are different there, but I think they need a, a guy who, has a little bit of old school in him, but is also a guy who can maybe relate with the players a little bit more. And I was listening to your conversation with Brent Cron a little bit earlier on this Thursday. And, you know, it got me thinking about not only are players different now than they were 10, 20, 30 years ago. I also think it's different for coaches at the AHL level as opposed to the NHL level. Because when you're in the AHL, you need that guy to help get you to the next level where you can make big money. When you're in the NHL, you kind of need your coach because you want ice time and eventually you're probably going to want another contract, but you, you don't need them to the same extent. So uh, I think that in a way takes a little bit of power away from coaches at the NHL level. And I would say that players are more empowered now uh, for a number of different reasons than they've ever been. Uh, the analogy that I love to use is that in the past, and this would be even more so at the AHL level than the NHL level, a coach would say jump, and the player's response in most cases would be how high. Yep. Now it's uh, the coach says jump, and the player says, and this is not every player, but I would say most, why? Why should I jump? What's in it for me if I jump? Or right? even and just what's the thought process. To, yeah. yeah, if you're able to convince them that they should jump for whatever reason, uh, whether it be – if, if, if you jump, it's going to make you a better player. If you jump, it's going to help us win games. If, if you jump, you're going to make more money in your next contract. If you jump, you're going to win a Stanley Cup. What, whatever that player needs for motivation, right. I think it's really important for the coach to be able to find that. And I think you do have to have a unique and different relationship with each and every player on your team. You've got to figure out what drives them, and you've got to treat them differently than the other 22 players in the roster. So... They need a guy who can be hard at times, but who isn't hard all the time. And I said this a lot during the season, guys. Obviously, losing is not fun for anybody, anywhere. But I'm not sure winning was all that much fun for the Flames this season either. And I think that's why things got so heavy at times. It's funny you use the jump how high sort of analogy because, you know, the ask the question jump an old school coach to a new age player. The player says, why? a hard old school coach comes back probably with because I said so. And so yeah. you need to bring in a coach that can be a communicator, but can also be a listener, but can cater his message to individuals and deliver the same message several different ways. 
So as we talk about this, and one of the guys that, you know, even going back in season, doing post-game and taking calls, one of the guys that I was pushing if the Flames made a coaching change, and at that point we didn't know if they were going to, but one of the guys that I said, well, yeah, if you're going to do that, I'd give Ryan Huska a chance, and and I still would. But my question is, with all of what we just talked about, is an internal hire the answer at coach? And I ask that because very rarely does the internal promotion from assistant to head coach with the same team end up working. It didn't work with Jeff Ward, and I'm not suggesting that that was all Jeff's fault or anything like that. And there's been multiple examples in other spots around the league where that hasn't always worked, and it's tough to get the feel of this guy was an assistant and now he's the head coach. Didn't work with Playfair here. Could Huska be a guy that, or could Kirk Muller be a guy that bucks that trend? As in, can you hire one of your assistants or associates and still get the desired result here? It's a great question, Pat. And quite frankly, I'm not sure it's one we can actually answer because we might have an opinion on it. And I do think that the Flames have probably three pretty strong internal candidates. You you, you talked about Ryan Huska, and he's a guy who has been a head coach at other levels and has had success as a head coach at other levels. He's also been with the Flames organization for a long, long time. And he has been the head coach for a number of their players at the AHL level. I think that's important, too. So I think he's a really strong candidate. As a matter of fact, if I was the general manager, uh, he would probably be at the top of my list to start the process. And I don't think you want to focus only on internal candidates, but I think you've got three strong ones. Kirk Muller has been a head coach, and you've got the two-time reigning AHL Coach of the Year in Mitch Love. And worst-case scenario, guys, I suspect Love will probably be coaching at the NHL level next season. I'm not convinced it's going to be uh, as a head coach, at least not with the Flames, but uh, you've got an opening, I'm I'm thinking, and I'm thinking he's probably going to get a promotion with what he's done at the AHL level. But I think you do have to look outside the organization as well because you don't want to really uh, approach this looking at only a small pool of candidates. Maybe, you know, Don Maloney and, and whoever he hires to be the general manager of this team believes that the Flames need a more experienced coach and a guy who has not only coached at the NHL level as a head coach, but has had success. Uh, I wonder what the Rangers are going to do. You know, there are pretty strong rumors uh, coming out of New York that Gerard Gallant might be out. I know he's a guy that uh, the Flames have uh, been interested in potentially before. Uh, I think about Andrew Brunette. I don't think the Flames should hire a head coach simply to get Jonathan Huberto going, but when you think about uh, Huberto and his 115-point season and who is behind the bench for the Panthers, well, that makes a little bit of sense. And, and there are some other guys out there uh, who have uh, been head coaches in the NHL and who have had success. But, you know, I also believe that sometimes you've, you've got to think outside the box. And, you know, John Cooper had never coached in the NHL but had a lot of success in the AHL. And look at the job that he's done with the Lightning, mm-hmm. leading them to three straight Stanley Cup finals and winning two championships. So I think they should look at all types of different coaches, regardless of how much experience they have as a head coach at the NHL level. But uh, personally, I, I think they need someone who has coaching experience at the NHL level, but not necessarily head coaching experience. You guys see it the same way or differently? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, 
I I think that that's probably I don't know if they need to go full on I hate the term retread, but it's not like I don't know if I I go the Gallant road. Yeah, re- recycle like Bruce that's Boudreaux. Bruce right. Boudreaux, yeah. Gerard Gallant, um those type of names. I probably don't go in that direction, but somebody with experience and uh, more of an up-and-coming type voice. That's probably the way that I would look at it. I think that the important thing is, and Don Maloney was very clear about this on Monday, they're going to wait until the GM first, then head coach. They're not going to do this in a weird backwards fashion, which I thought was really important too. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a preference, to be perfectly honest with you, whether it's NHL experience or not, because you look at some of the candidates internally, whether it be Mitch Love, who's been at the AHL level. You've got Ryan Husk, who's been at the NHL level as an assistant. You can go outside the organization and look at some assistant coaches. I don't necessarily have a firm take whether or not the guy has had to have stood on an NHL bench or not. Um, yeah, and what about Joe yeah. Quenville? What, what does his future hold? And maybe he ends up with the Rangers, I'm not sure. but uh, And they've got some stuff to work out with the league. But you know, I think there's also something to be said for uh, some stuff sort of stability in the coaches room as well and but i think about the internal candidates they know the players they know their organization it would make the transition a little bit easier so i think there's something to be said for that thank you mr wills uh good catching up with you i thought we could uh, revisit some of the topics that we couldn't hit as well as we'd like during the roundtable so thought we do that this week uh have a uh, have a wonderful rest of your week my friend Sounds good. You guys as well. Uh, he is Derek Wills, voice of the Calgary Flames. He joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op with new product families, member rewards and sale events. You'll find more quality, more savings in every department every day at Calgary Co-op. As we start to wrap things up this hour on Flames Talk, Aaron Vickers is on Twitter at AA Vickers. Our producers have been Taylor and Ben. My name is Pat Steinberg, and that'll wrap us up this hour on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to alike system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.